You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good morning, everybody. It's a great day to be free in Jesus, right? Um, One of the most profound statements in Scripture is also one of the most simple statements in Scripture, and that is, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so I encourage you to uh, meditate on that uh, this week. And he didn't call us to be free so that we would go back into the yoke of slavery again. And uh, he set us uh, free so that we could stay free and be free and walk free and uh, free from sin and death, free from condemnation, free from uh, a lot of things that would weigh us down. So we're in part six of our series on strong, healthy families. We've defined strong, healthy families uh, as first being made up of strong, healthy individuals and strong, healthy individuals are those who have committed their life to the lordship of Jesus Christ and made him first, made him king of their life. They've chosen to step off the throne of their heart and to allow Jesus to rule and reign in their lives. And so I encourage you, if you missed any of those, they're all online. Uh, You can get those quite easily. Our new website is very mobile friendly uh, if you'd like to listen to those. And so uh, today we're going to talk about preparing for the future. Strong, healthy families are preparing, not only looking to the future, but preparing. And so I just want to talk just for a minute about uh, families and parenting and passing the baton. Uh, it is a big deal. And so it doesn't matter whether you're a single person or a single parent or a part of a blended family or the average uh, family of mom, dad, and 2.5 kids. It doesn't matter what your family looks like. Uh, whether you're part of a small group family or the church family, we have a responsibility as believers in Christ to prepare the next generation uh, to carry on, to hold the baton and uh, perpetuate it uh, further. And so it's it's a big deal. And for parents, one of the scariest times is like, like a trapeze artist you got these two strong guys that are hanging upside down on the bar, and they're swinging back and forth uh, way above the ground. And the poor little person that's being tossed between them, uh, that's their job. Uh, one is to hold them securely, and then finally it comes to this point where you let them go. And so parents, we come to a point where we let our kids go. And... Uh, You need to be preparing your kids for when you let them go. Uh, Number one, because they're not your kids, they're God's. And he entrusted them to you for a season. And you don't want them clinging around. You being 120 years old and them being 105 and still living in the basement. You want them to grow and to mature to establish their own household and it's a scary thing for parents. It was for Terry and, and me. And, and uh, in the analogy there, while they're free-floating in space, sometimes flailing and sometimes doing a perfect uh, two-and-a-half roll with a twist or something, and, 
Uh, But while they're up there, they're not holding on to anything. There comes a point where they have to grab on to their faith and make it their own. Do Do you get that picture? And while they're up in the air, sometimes they do flail around. And it's a scary thing. And this is where spiritual warfare comes in very handy, parents and grandparents. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that today. But first of all, I want to say, please don't look back. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There is not one perfect parent or grandparent in this room today. We've all blown it big time. And so I just want to say this, and I am, give me a little bit of poetic license, so to speak, uh, in the Bible, but there's no father in the universe more perfect than God Almighty, who is perfect love, who is perfect selflessness, who is the perfect teacher, and yet out of heaven one-third who grew up under that, so to speak, rebelled and walked away. Sometimes we beat ourselves up too much uh, because of the results of our parenting or grandparenting. We may have been responsible in part for it, but God gives us opportunities all the time for redemption. So don't be too hard on yourself. A third of the angels in heaven grew up in perfection. Absolutely provided for. No wants, no needs, no sin, no anything. And yet they chose uh, to walk away from that. So I just want to say that from the get-go, because today I'm going to be talking about uh, preparing uh, our, our kids and grandkids for the next generation. I don't want anybody to be feeling uh, and, and, res- and uh, remorseful for back then. Paul says, I leave what's behind and I look forward. You can't do anything uh, behind you, but you can do something about what's forward. So... Let's look what, see what the Bible says today uh, about preparing our kids uh, for the next generation, and corporately as a church, preparing for the next generation. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes, open our hearts today, that we might hear from you, specifically hear from you, uh, some very concrete uh, actions that we can take personally. I pray that you'd grip our hearts with the, with the huge responsibility we have of, of carrying uh, the, the, the great privilege of, of leading children into a saving knowledge of Jesus and teaching the Word of God to them and, and, and answering questions and exampling for them uh, this whole process. God, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, uh, the Great Commission requires that we make disciples. So this is part of what we're here about. That's our theme this year is go therefore. That's part of the Great Commission. Uh, Go therefore, Jesus says in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I like the last three songs we sang, first about Jesus, then about the Father, and then about Holy Spirit, Uh, incorporating all those into our worship service here teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so this is what is known as the Great Commission. This is uh, God's people being on mission with God. It's a co-mission. It's not our mission. It is a co-mission. And so... 
True discipleship cannot begin until we learn a very important key principle or aspect of life that there is one God and we're not it. There's only one God and you're not it. There's only one God and I'm not it. There's only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. There's only one and we're not it. Now we think we are and we grow up that way. When you're a little baby, everyone looks at you. You can be in a stroller. You can't even move yet. And all you see is this big circle of giant faces (laughs) getting in yours and making the most contorted things that they call smiles. You have no idea what that is. It's very scary. Uh, But they're all looking at you. And then as you grow up into toddlerhood, you can just do the silliest little thing and everybody's just laughing. And you look around the room, do a 360. Everybody's looking at me. It must be all about me. Just like my daytimer catalog a few years ago. On the front page, printed, it's all about you, Steve Barr. And I said, I knew it. Like this. It's even in print. But it's not. There's a great leadership, leadership book called Kingdom of Self uh, that speaks about those kind of things. But really, when we follow God, we just need to realize we are not God. And so you can't lead people where you haven't been and, and, uh, or where you don't know where you're supposed to go. And so uh, in leading the next generation, preparing for the next generation, we want to make sure that we're a people that can follow, be followed, be emulated. It's not do as I say. Our kids are going to do what we do. So we need constantly to monitor this, just like you go to the doctor's office and get a uh, health checkup. You take your temperature and your blood pressure and your, and, and, and your heart rate and all those kind of things. Just a checkup. Are, are we taking constant checkups in our lives? Are we somebody to follow? Are we in the Word and in prayer and in fellowship and uh, uh, shining brightly for Jesus in our sheer, uh, sphere, sphere of influence? And are, are we doing these kind of things? Just check up constantly monitoring these things, our spiritual uh, checkup. That's why Discipline is so important in this thing called discipleship, raising up another uh, generation. We are called disciples. The new followers of Jesus were called disciples, all of them. And that, same, that word disciple has its same root as the word discipline, where it's a, it's a pattern of behavior. Not to earn our salvation, that's already settled. Once we say yes to Jesus, He's forgiven us. But what do we do then? We walk to follow Jesus so that we can reflect him to the world. Uh, Joshua took over from Moses. I don't know how you would feel if all of a sudden you're leading 8 million people or so, somewhere between 6 and 8 million people. And Joshua had just been Moses' servant. He carried water for him. He, He went and fetched stuff. He carried his bags for 40 years. And now Moses died, and now Joshua's taking over. God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. And now I want you to lead these people. And you be courageous. Because I could just see Joshua, what, me, Uh, like this. And so God has to say three or four times in Joshua chapter 1. He says, be strong, be very strong, be very courageous. And then he says in in, uh, verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. 
that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. This is what he says to Joshua, but there's two little tiny words in there that we often forget. So we, we learn God's word, we memorize God's word, we meditate on it day and night. All right, I'm doing it, I'm doing this thing. No, he said that you may observe to do all that is written therein. There is a response required, and that's that we live out what we're learning in God's word. And so God says, if you want to be pros- prosperous, uh, Joshua, and successful, you're going to need to not only take his word, but learn to live it, learn to own it, uh, so to speak. So we're not called to just visualize um, discipleship or just talk about it, but we're called to do it. So parents, just a reminder, your first and most important disciples are your children. You can't be a leader in the church unless your household is in order, by the way. For deacons and elders, that's mandated. Your house needs to be run decently and and ruled in in an orderly manner that honors God. Number two, however, each person must personally choose to follow Jesus. This is where you're not in control anymore. People must follow Jesus of their own accord. And so... um, Someone once said, there's no grandchildren in heaven. Well, your grandchildren may be in heaven, but the idea there is that everyone must come to the Father on their own, and then we're given the right to be called the children of God. So you don't get into heaven based on somebody else's belief or faith. You get into heaven because you had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and have uh, committed your life uh, to him. So he doesn't take us in as groups or church. Oh, I'm glad I go to Westside because they're going to heaven. No. We go personally before Jesus. Get on our knees and make him Lord of our life. I want to talk just for a second about first, second, and third generation. Uh, there's not a chapter in the Bible entitled first, second, and third generation, but this pattern is all through there. And it's just an idea that we lose our faith uh, in successive generations. So... In Judges chapter 2, this is the book right after Joshua. Joshua leads the children of Israel. They inhabit the promised land. They have victories and miracles, and they're there, and they're living in the promises of God, and that all parallels us. He takes us out of Egypt, our sinful life. Uh, we, We might wander a bit in the desert trying to get our foothold, but finally we get over the Jordan River into the promised land where God has wanted to take us all along because he took us out of to take us into all that he has for us. So they're there now. And it says this um, in Judges chapter 2, because Judges is all about um, the Judges. That's why they call it Judges. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers. They're talking about Joshua and the generation to follow. So Joshua's round everybody's doing the right thing and success and the land and you know this kind of stuff and then the the next generation that grew up under Joshua they're gone now and this is what it says all that generation were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel this is a little insight so you you know God 
You know him personally. You don't just know about God. You know God. And you, and you know his works. You've, you've seen his miracles at work in your life and your family's life. You know that God is there and you know that he's working miracles. His works are marvelous. And you, you have this first generation encounter with Almighty God. And then the second generation arises and they, they know God. They have a genuine relationship with God. It's not they just don't know about God. They know God. But it's just kind of gotten routine, so there's no miracles necessary or needed anymore, and they're not depending on God and living a life of faith. And they know about His works. That's the second generation. They know God and they know about His works. Yeah, man, my parents, they were on fire for Jesus, and they were maybe missionaries for a while or served in the church for a while, and there were some miracles that happened, and food appeared on their front doorstep once when they prayed, and God provided for them. And, there was and, and I love God too, and you know, but... I just don't know about, I haven't seen too many miracles. And then the third generation comes along, the grandchildren, and they know about God. Yeah, grandma and grandpa, they love God. My parents, they love God. And I, I know about God. I know all the stories. And I know that, you know, David and Goliath and Adam and Eve. And, you know, I, I just know those. I, I know a lot about God. And I know about his works. See how that slides so quickly? You see that pattern in Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, third generation. Jacob, the schemer, that's what that means. He's a schemer. He's a scoundrel. He's out for himself and himself only until after he goes through quite a few years of heartache. Just read the story yourself in Genesis. And then one night, he encounters God, and he wrestles all night long. And he goes, I won't let you go until you bless me. I'm tired of going my own way. I'm tired of just living my parents and my grandparents' faith. I'm going to encounter you, almighty God, right here and right now, and I'm not letting you go. And at the end of the night, what did the angel do? Touched his hip, and he was lame. He walked with a limp the rest of his life. And I'll tell you what, people who have encountered Jesus walk with a limp. Much of our self is dead. And we're living for him. So Jacob, who was third generation, encountered God personally. So he became first generation. And then you see the same thing with, with David and Solomon and Rehoboam. And then you see the same thing with uh, the, the church fathers and Gamaliel, who was a great teacher who taught and trained Saul, a young man named Saul. And so uh, Paul talks about his, Saul's name is later changed to Paul, the great apostle. Uh, but he talks about being trained under Gamaliel, who was in trained uh, under these other guys who really encountered God and loved God. And so you have the, the fathers and then Gamaliel and then, and then Saul. And so you see this pattern all through Scripture. And we can see it in our own life. In fact, you can see all three of those generations possibly in your own life. There was a time when you knew God and you knew his works and you're walking in them and then it kind of just got stale and, and you still love God and everything and then find that you just have walked away. So I don't want to say more that, uh, that it is than it isn't, but uh, you see the pattern we see there through Scripture. You see it in our nation today. In the late 1800s was a great revival that went across this land. Many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people came to Jesus. And then the next generation grows up and they 
they encounter World War I, the, the most horrific war that the world had ever seen, where somewhere upwards of 80 million people died and perished, and they, they couldn't fathom the destruction. And, and um, then you have uh, other parents growing up, and my, like my, my parents' generation, were, and I'm not saying that nobody from my parents' generation encountered Jesus' first generation, but I'm just kind of making some generalities here where, where we grew up with, with uh, third generation, my generation, from that revival in the spheres that we were in. So we knew about God, we knew about his works, but we had to encounter Jesus firsthand, firsthand. And that's our goal because our country has slipped into a new religion. The number one religion in our country today is not Christianity. It's moralistic therapeutic deism. And, uh, you know, we don't, I don't want to quibble over words. You might call it something else. You might call it third generation. Uh, but here's what it is. Moralistic therapeutic deism consists of beliefs like these. There's a God who exists and created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. And God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other, like the Bible teaches and most other world religions. And number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. So you could sum up moralistic therapeutic deism in one sentence, if I do good, I'll feel good. And therefore, it's all about me. And if you think a little bit, you can see that's all around us. And number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in a person's life, except when they need him. And then he needs to be there so they can pray. And uh, number five, here's, here's the clincher. Good people go to heaven when they die. And that's the pervasive philosophy that's out there. It's in our schools and in, in, in journalism and in, in our everyday life and the movies and television. We're fighting against this godless, humanistic philosophy that's out there. And our children are being brought up in that notch of moralistic therapeutic deism or, or humanism is turned up even like way higher than when we were going through it. And it's something that should grip us. It's not that young people today or people out there uh, uh, are not able to articulate their beliefs. It's just they don't have any beliefs. If I'm nice to my neighbor and I feel good about myself, that's all, all that's needed and the cosmic scales of justice will tilt in my favor and I'll go to heaven. That's not how it works. Number one, the Bible says that there's no good people. There's none. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of us are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. So um, in raising our kids at church and in the home, our goal for raising our kid is not just to teach them the rules, just to follow a bunch of, of rules. We're not training them to become little Pharisees, little legalistic Pharisees that follow all the rules because I'll tell you what, if we don't have a relationship with Jesus and we're teaching our kids all these rules and they don't actually have a relationship with Jesus, they're going to become one of two things. Rules without relationship lead to rebels or robots. One or the other. We all lean toward one or the other. And uh, these are the rules. I'm going to follow them. So I'll be just this little robot and I'll, make, I'll follow the rules. I'll make sure you follow the rules. And then over here we have rules. Who needs rules? I'm not doing that. 
I don't have any idea why I should be doing that. So we just rebel and go off in our own uh, direction. But this becomes legalism. This becomes licentiousness, where you have license to do anything your heart desires. This is legalism, and God doesn't want us in either one of those. He wants us right in a perfect mixture of truth and grace, and we call that liberty. So God's interested in our heart way more than our actions. Sure, our actions uh, tell what our heart is, but the important thing is our heart. A couple of uh, books that I would strongly recommend uh, for uh, families in the church. One is Gospel-Powered Parenting by William Farley. Another one, a great one, is Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. And those speak into the issue of reaching your child's heart uh, as opposed to just creating a bunch of rules to follow in our homes. Number three, so we all must uh, participate in making a way for the coming generations to follow Jesus. So, um, just briefly, in the church and in, in the family, in the church, this church, we need to make a way for the next generations, all these little kids that came up here, to be leading the church in a couple decades. Our goal is not to train them to be relevant in 1950. Our, our job is to train them to be salt and light and leaders in 2050. Does that make sense? That's our goal. Uh, and so for our generations, we need to take a step back for our preferences. There's a lot of folks in here this morning, and I want to thank you very much for laying down your personal preference of not quite having such loud music here this morning. But you said, okay, we're here corporately, we're here together, we have this mission, so I'll lay down some of my personal preferences. I want to thank you for making it easy for the next generation uh, to follow. Some of you would have preferred to have a 7 o'clock service this morning, Just, and then get on with your day, <laughs> with your family, it's a, you know, Sunday. Uh, but we lay down our personal preferences when we come together. You lay down your preferences when you got married, you lay down your preferences when you're part of a family or a small group, so thank you everybody for consciously making, maybe you didn't realize you were, but you're making it easy for the next generation to follow. And if you're part of the generation that seems to be coming up and you have a lot of questions, I want to say that this is a safe place to ask questions. It is okay. It is not a sin to ask, how do we know that the Bible's true? That's okay to ask if you really want the answer. It's okay to say, is, is, was Jesus really a historical person? Was, is, is, some of these things are okay. It's okay. You have freedom uh, to do that here. Um, is it okay to trust authority? Because the Bible talks a lot about authority in our lives, but I've been burnt by authority. Is it okay to trust authority? Yes, it is okay. If you have an honest question, we have uh, honest answers for you. So let me tell you what the world is saying I, in researching this a bit. The world has some ideas out there. Um, one, of the, one of the things I think it's in your notes is there's a quote out there uh, parenting is the greatest trend that influences change in behaviors across generations amen well the world's just finally discovering that um, there's an interesting uh, thing out there in sociology that says that this coming generation the iGen like the iPhone you know iTunes the iGeneration uh, iGen is the first generation in our, in our history 
that will drive the culture that we will follow. Generally, we kind of make a way and pave a way for the culture for others to follow us. This generation is going to drive our, our culture. And so you, you have little four-year-olds that are uh, calling grandma and grandpa on the phone. They have no idea what a regular phone is where you pick it up and there is a dial tone. What is that? You know, there's this noise on my phone. They don't know what that is. And they don't even pick up your iPhone and they don't even put it to their ears. They put it in front of their face because they want to talk to grandma and grandpa face to face. That is not new technology to them. That is just the way things are. New technology is only new to you if you can remember the way it was before. If you can't remember the way it was before, it's not new to you. It just is. Does that make sense? I don't know. So for the iGen growing up now, 9-11 is history. The iGen are those, you know, maybe born after 96, 97, 98, that generation. They don't remember 9-11. They didn't get gripped by the towers falling down. It's just history to them. And, and for the millennials, the JFK assassination is just history. And for my generation, the baby boomers, Pearl Harbor is just History. There's no grippiness, and, and things move along, but this new generation is really going to drive us. And if you're part of the greatest generation, World War I is just history. You didn't live through the era when the first time in, in, in world history, 80, million, 80 to 100 million people died. We sat down and talked with Terry's grandpa years ago when we first got married. He was born in 1896, and he was a medic in World War I. To hear his stories, you know, that's history, and... We're moving along. Are, are we concerned with our young people to, to prepare them for what's coming ahead? Because it's moving at a fast pace. So if we want our children to impact their generation, they need to have a solid foundation. Because this foundation, the Word of God, transcends culture. It transcends nations or ethnicities, or time. It works in a little village in Central Africa, or a cathedral in Europe, or, or, or out in a, in a village in the Philippines, or in any small country town in middle America. This, the Word of God, is truth, and truth sets free, and it is not responding to culture. So we need to give them that foundation. Um, it's very, very important. They need to stand out and be a light. To their peers. So in families, um, we're speaking to parents and grandparents and encouraging you to teach and train your kids to be effective for the next generation. Deuteronomy 4 9 says, But watch out, be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live, and be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Grandkids. Grandma and I, we were going our own way until we met Jesus and he changed our life. Tell them the stories. Tell them the victories. Tell them when you crossed the Jordan River. Tell them when the Red Sea was open. Tell them the miracles of God answering prayer and providing for you in time of need or or healing you or forgiving your sin or giving your life purpose and hope. So one thing here to apply this for us today making it easy for people to follow Jesus. How am I helping to make it possible for the next generation to 
follow Jesus? Am I all in? Is my life consistent? Can others follow me? Or am I just kind of following along in the shadows? See, parenting is a mandate from the Lord. We can't shirk our responsibility toward our children and teaching them to worship God. We can't shirk our responsibility to teach them to have a, a godly worldview. Not, now listen, I love America. I served in the military and I love my nation. But our main mandate is not to teach them to have an American worldview or a capitalistic worldview or any other kind of worldview, humanistic, other. It's to have a biblical worldview. What does God say about this world? How do we view the world through the lens of the gospel? That's what we teach them. So, um, the Lord has placed those children under authority. He's given them this great privilege, us this great privilege uh, to teach them that we are created in God's image. And if you're created in God's image, little one, you are an image bearer to the world. And the world sees Jesus through you. And the way we act and behave in this world and the things that we say is what the world thinks of Jesus because we are displaying his image uh, to the world. And so, how do we do that? We teach kids, we teach them God's truth, we model our dependence on him. We don't think we know it all and have it all. And we train them in righteousness and, and we correct their disobedience. Correction is getting them back on course. And, and we do that for the years that God has entrusted them to us. So, and we can only do that through the power and the strength that the Holy Spirit provides. Um, we can't take this test lightly. By the way, I just want to say this about Westside Kids. At Westside Church, we corporately have a, a large ministry here. It's, the, it's probably the single largest ministry at Westside. The most volunteers. Uh, we're not the primary responsibility for your children. Parents are. Parents are. For Westside Kids. Uh, you, we're here to assist you. Westside Kids is here to assist you. And I just want to say this, that Westside Kids is a safe place. We do not allow teachers in there to work with our kids until they've been in this church six months and they've gone to Westside 101 and God's called them here. They go through an FBI background check and they go through a personal in-detail interview. So it's, it's a big deal. We take your kids' safety seriously. And also, if there ever is a situation where one of our kids is abused by a predator, we will not cover it up. We will expose it. And we will request, we can't prosecute you, but we will request that you be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. So if you're a predator, beware. This is not a safe place for you. This is a safe place for you if you're trusting your future to Jesus. Every single person, every one of us is a sinner saved by grace. There's a place for you here at Westside, not with kids. All right, does that make sense? Single parent families, you're part of a strong, healthy local church, and we will help out in whatever way we can. And if you're a mom in a single family and you need a dad in, in that family, you've got a whole bunch of elders and leaders in this church who would be glad to sit down with your kids and talk to them and help out. Um, grandparents, aunties and uncles, singles, all of our kids need you. Really, they do. So here's a solution. If you're single and you're not part of family or you don't have kids in the home yet, 
Uh, adopt a family. If you're single, adopt a family. And, and do it assertively. Push your way in. Say, I'm coming over for dinner, and I'll bring dessert. How many families in this church will not allow, allow a single to say that to them? All right, we're all in. We're here for you. We are here for you. Be assertive. Uh, watch their kids. Give mom and dad a date, a date night break. Uh, serve in West Side Kids. But I don't like kids. All right, be in the parking lot. Security. You love kids. I mean, you may not like them, but you love them. So watch over them and protect them. Volunteer for the security and parking lot and assistant teachers or admin back there. Just talk to Tyler and Kylie. So the best advice I can give you as parents, listen, this isn't a parenting seminar, but here's the best advice I can give you. Be the parent. Be the parent. You're not there to argue with your kids. You're not their big brother or sister. You're not their friend. You can be friends, but you are the parent. And you establish what is and what isn't acceptable in your home. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you'll enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you'll have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Isn't that great? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for instructions that you didn't leave us alone. You didn't leave us uh, without any help. Thank you, Father. Lord, we, we trust your wisdom. We trust your instruction. We honor you and thank you in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Hey, Logan and Amanda lead uh, our West Side youth, and there's a whole bunch of teenagers who love Jesus. And it's growing. It's wonderful. I just, just one little last thought while I was praying there is, parents, please don't punish your teens by keeping them away from church and church-related activities. That might be the very thing that they need at this time in their life. And so I know I can see the look on Logan's face when a kid is on restriction, they have to stay home away from church. That's probably what they need the most. (laughs) And so purpose in your heart that you're going to make it easy for your kids. Get to rise up. Every teen in this church should be going to rise up. Every teen should be be here on Thursday night and, and coming together and serving God and worshiping God. Amen? Amen. I love you guys.